Good day, everyone, and welcome to New Matter, the SLAS podcast where we interview life science luminaries. I'm your host, SLAS Scientific Director Marshall Brennan, and today we're chatting with Steve Swicklow. He joins us from Atelorix, a UK-based technology startup. Recently, Atelorix was an Ignite Award finalist, and so it really is our treat to have Steve here with us. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Marshall. Thanks for having me. All right. It is our tradition to start off these uh, interviews with uh, the SLAS challenge uh, to describe either your day-to-day work or your company in 10 words or fewer. Okay. Um, I will try my best there. It's uh, always a challenging one, that. But um, my 10 words are essentially applying innovative solutions to people's problems in shipping precious biological samples. Yes. Shipping precious biological samples. Now, that's an interesting topic. Because it's uh, it's one of those things where I think a lot of us kind of take for granted, but it's actually surprisingly tricky when you're trying to get cells from one place to another alive. Can you tell us a little bit about how Telerx is uh, working to solve this problem? That's right. And generally, biology is tricky. And often a lot of focus is applied to trying to make biological models more physiologically relevant. The result of this is that they become more and more complex. The more complex they are, generally, the more fragile they are. And uh, when you actually get to that stage where you have a physiological, relevant, fragile model, which is working fantastically to give you those biological outputs, you can't ship it anywhere. You can't freeze Mm -hmm. it and is subject to destroyal, pretty much, um, through the mechanical disruption during shipping. Mm -hmm. So um, our products are aimed at protecting tissues, cells, cell models within an alginate-based hydrogel. These alginate-based hydrogels, it's almost a a jelly-like substance that encases, envelops that um, biological sample to protect it from these insults. That's really interesting. So the alginate there is acting to sort of pacify the sample to a certain degree. Can you tell us a little bit about the mechanism of why that happens, why we can't just put cells in any medium and have this uh, sort of success? Of course, yes. Um, There are two main mechanisms. The first one is actually protecting from the uh, physiochemical injury during storage outside the incubator, essentially. Um, Outside the incubator, cells, cell products, the membranes that are integral to actually these cells uh, staying alive Uh, they become damaged. So if you want to try and store these cells within medium outside the incubator, uh, the um, cell membrane will gradually degrade due to a number of reasons, mainly due to uncontrolled iron and water entry into cells and the matrix that surrounds them. Our gels almost act as a sponge to protect these ions entering the cell in a dysregulated manner and subsequently protect water entry and protect these cells bursting like a water balloon. Um, They uh, are stabilized that way. And we talked a little bit there about the uh, mechanical impact Mm -hmm. uh, during shipment. I mean, it's always very difficult when you're looking to ship something that is very precious, a cell therapy or a cell model or anything that contains uh, cells, you assume that if you use a courier, or even one of the more expensive couriers, there are a number of great ones about, you can never be totally sure that that container isn't going to be tipped on one side, 
dropped, you, you never really know. And so, After some of the things I've seen happen with my, my own packages during this pandemic, that regardless of the marking on them, I can totally see where you're coming from with this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, this way up should be obvious, but um, often uh, it is just <laughs> ignored. So holding these cells um, within a matrix, which is a jelly-like substance, it's uh, quite a, it's not a firm gel, it's quite soft, um, but it holds everything together. And it almost acts as a buffer for those uh, mechanical hits and impacts. And because it is non-liquid, if you put the package upside down, it doesn't really matter because Mm -hmm. uh, the actual vessel that that tissue is uh, within or cell is filled up, essentially. That's a really remarkable material, too, because on on the one hand, it's acting to essentially you know, uh, very carefully exclude the, you know, things like water and whatnot from the materials while also being a shock absorber, which is like this perfect balance of, you know, chemistry and physics from this perspective where, you know, engineering that uh, must have been a fun challenge. What's the process of actually getting the cells into this material? Is it easy to get them in or more importantly, is it easy to get them out? It's very easy. Um, I mean, we have uh, three core products that are commercially available bead ready, which is used for the encapsulation of cells in uh, suspended form, uh, such as a normal cell suspension. In that product protocol, it's essentially a case of just mixing your cell suspension with a non-crosslinked gel solution, and then dropping that into a cross-linking bath. And uh, gel beads are formed mm-hmm. uh, readily and quickly. And then these can just be resuspended in your normal culture medium and shipped in a hemetic vial. When I say hemetic vial, that just means that it's tightly closed, which means mm-hmm. that there's no requirement of those cells for gaseous exchange and very, very minimal requirement for nutrients. And this means that you can store cells for up to two weeks, depending on the cell type, without having to change that medium, which mm-hmm. is a concept which uh, some people, well, a lot of people uh, find su- surprising when you're used to really tightly controlling uh, conditions uh, in normal cell culture practices. Um, right, but it seems, well, it seems like when you pacify the cells like this, their needs drop precipitously, right? Yeah, I mean, it's all down to the temperature. I don't want to kind of go go incredibly technical, but it's all based around hypothermic preservation. And everyone's familiar with hypothermia and animals kind of responding to, to hypothermia. Our logo is based on a hedgehog. Uh, Atellarix is a genus of hedgehog. Uh, what mm. these specific type of, well, it's an African pygmy hedgehog, uh, they go into direct torpor at temperatures below 20 degrees, and then they quickly reanimate at temperatures above 20 degrees. And hmm. as that is what we do with cells, that is what we base the company name on. And oh. everybody loves a hedgehog, so that also Absolutely. Well, that's really exciting. It sounds like this is a, one of those solutions that I'm kind of surprised it took you to come up with this solution in the sense that it seems like it should make so much more sense, but it took uh, the Telerix to really bring that to the forefront. And so thank you for doing that. I guess my question for you then, especially as the, the CEO of the company, how have you thought about your company and your product lines you know, in the past year with the pandemic? You know, obviously, um, the shipping and, uh, and transport and safe storage of materials has been you know, a lot of conversation recently. And uh, have you been able to uh, you know, either reframe or do things with your work uh, to take advantage of the situation or contribute to it productively? 
Well, I think everyone's it's been a challenging year because a lot of the labs have been closed down. A lot of the work has shut down in many areas. But we've taken the opportunity to look at new opportunities. Uh, one of the big opportunities that came out of the last year was a new product called um, Swab Ready. We identified that there was a need to preserve viral swabs. We thought that applying our technology, because we're all around cell preservation, uh, we would preserve those nasal epithelial cells that the virus uh, is within so that we could prolong the life of the virus to result in more accurate testing of COVID-19 patients. This worked fantastically well. And what we actually found was that utilising our gel, which we aimed at tissues and cells, they could also preserve viruses. And Mm -hmm. so an even simpler level of organisation, if you like. And uh, that's really kind of helped us in appreciating that the potential of our technology is essentially to preserve anything with a cell membrane, even mm-hmm. if it is an even sim- simpler cell membrane such as, such as a virus. So that's been very exciting for us. Right. And that's really interesting, too, because I think one of the we sort of alluded to earlier, that shipping materials is never easy. It's certainly not gotten easier in the past year. But the need for collaboration, especially, you know, in this evolving health climate has never been higher. So lowering that barrier ultimately is lowering the barrier toward collaboration, especially, you know, across geographic regions. So like that's something that I think is easy to overlook when we're talking about, you know, pacifying cells and whatnot, you know, encasing them in hydrogels. But like, this is actually really important for a whole host of reasons. And so that's what I'm really excited about here. I do want to take a little bit of the last bit of time that we have to talk about you and your company. Um, You mentioned, you know, the uh, inspiration for the name of the company. I think that's really exciting. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how and why Atelorix was formed? What brought you to this place, Steve? Uh, Yes, of course. The actual technology was formed back in 2011. I was uh, working as a PhD student in uh, uh, Reading University, and Professor Che Conan had this serendipitous uh, finding that cells could keep alive, uh, were kept alive in this alternate. They were left out of the incubator. And that kind of stemmed an idea that led to some extra funding. And that's when I got involved. So I got involved as a postdoc, uh, postdoctoral scientist uh, within Che's lab. And the main aim there was to take this technology and apply it to the bottlenecks that exist in the cell therapy supply chain. And this was of a critical focus uh, because a lot of cell-based therapies, um, their potential is fantastic, but a lot of cell therapies are unable to recover functionally once you have frozen them and then thawed them again. If you think about freeze-thawing a cell and then putting it straight into um, what is an inflamed environment in a diseased patient, the susceptibility to lysis, to death, to that cell not performing as it should, um, are a lot greater. Mm -hmm. And so that's where this this stemmed from. And I've been working on 
optimizing the technology for the cell therapy supply chain about eight years now. And one of the first encounters that we had with, with an actual real cell therapy was early in Atera's history, and that was a, a cell therapy that prevented corneal blindness. Uh, so this was with a large eye institute in India. They had a cell that showed fantastic uh, responses in early clinical trials, but their cell, once taken out of the incubator, would only stay alive for a matter of, matter of hours. And this meant they couldn't get that cell therapy to the rural areas in India where these therapies were needed the most because of the high incidence of insults and acute blindness that occur in, in India. So applying our technology in what was actually an, an early form back then, and we've done a lot more work since, uh, that extended the shelf life of that product to days. And so that kind of, it didn't complete a story at all. I mean, uh, there's still still a lot that we are working on. But it really took that early research idea into an actual therapy where there was a real need. And that really was the clinching point that made me think how transformative this technology could be in mm-hmm. getting advanced biological therapies to those people that actually need it. That's really awesome. So... How how did you find the uh, transition from you know working in the from an academic perspective into founding a startup? What are the bits of advice that you'd have for people considering making a similar transition? Um, I think I'm still transitioning, to be honest, Mark. <laughs> uh, within academia, there is a focus on biology. There's a focus on data. There's a focus on generating data and interpreting it and satisfying your hypothesis, then moving on. Uh, Within a commercial environment, the direction is totally different. There is the core reliance on the biology, but you've always got to look at the direct application. And I find this actually more exciting that uh, you see a need, you use your team around you. uh, Atelix has a fantastic team of experienced scientists, and we're able to meet their needs, meet their problem, and actually help them and to provide something that they couldn't provide before, whether that be a cell product for drug discovery or whether that be a cell-based uh, therapy that um, they are unable to freeze. I think that persistence and patience and just trying to balance the commercial need with the data that, as a scientist, you feel you would want to keep on generating. I think it's, it's just a slightly different approach. Yeah, that's really great advice. And I think the fact that you said you're, you're still making the transition is really important to you because I think there's a nice balance between you know, understanding what is exciting about the fundamental research, but then being able to appreciate how to translate that. That is uh, really special. What do you look forward to most about uh, Telerx's future? Uh, what are you really looking forward to telling me about on uh, the next time you appear on the podcast in five years? I'm always impressed by the data I see and the potential for our technology. As I was saying before, that with the, the viruses, that was a big surprise. Um, I think that more and more samples will come around uh, when they are posed to us by, by customers that we think, oh, yes, this, this should work. And then I'm always amazed that it does. But 
what I am really excited about is the continued development in the clinical space. Um, us as a company are doing a lot of work moving into that at the moment. And uh, what I want to see is us solving some of the critical issues in the quality of these cell therapies and allowing them to get to patients in a, a state that is essentially a lot better than it's seen before. And I think this mm-hmm. technology has the potential to to do that. Do you think that there are some potential therapies that we might have missed before because of the inability to handle them properly? Yes. <laughs> I won't go into specifics, but I'll give an example. That there are a few cell therapies that have um, produced really good data, really good uh, efficacy data in early trials. When these early trials were conducted, um, it was almost like the uh, where the cells were produced was next door to the patients. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of the time in universities, university hospitals, uh, they're able to get a cohort of people, uh, treat them, produce excellent data, and use these cells in their fresh state. As clinical trials expand and you have larger cohorts, trying to get these um, cells that have a limited time window, limited shelf life, uh, to the patients in a fit state is very difficult. So the only option is to freeze them. There are certain trials that have failed because the clinical outcomes have not been met once they have gone to these larger cohorts. A lot of people associate that with freezing. I'm biased, so uh, you don't really need to ask me what my view on that is, Michael. (laughs) But I think it has held up a lot of the um, actual uh, success of cell therapies Mm. because of that critical point to really extend the shelf life to a state where you can distribute those cells without affecting their quality. That's really exciting. And I'm sure that this thought is already uh, fully, much more fully fleshed out than I could possibly have. But the question would be, is uh, you know, how much IP space can we just go back and reinvigorate by just solving this, again, seemingly simple problem that is just so pervasive? So anyway, it has been a real pleasure talking with you today, Steve. Is there any last thoughts you want to share with our uh, listeners? And you know, can you tell us a little bit about where our uh, listeners can learn more about you and your company? Of course. Um, the best place to learn more about us is to uh, visit our website at um, uh, atelerix.co.uk and look at our social media. And if there are any uh, direct queries that uh, your listeners want to talk to us about, you can contact us on info at atelerix.co.uk. All right. Well, on behalf of the SLAS podcasts, the membership, and everyone that uh, listens to this podcast, thank you so much. It has been a real pleasure getting to talk with you about your technology. I'm really excited to see where it goes. Thank you, Marshall. It's been a pleasure.